I'm Eric. And I'm Rob. Together, we host the Pulpit Fiction Podcast, the lectionary podcast for those who looked up Ezekiel 2517 and were sorely disappointed. Every week, we dig into four lectionary Bible passages. We'll feed your spirit, engage your mind, and kickstart your creative analysis, and hopefully get a laugh or two along the way. So if you like Art of the Sermon, check us out on the web at pulpitfiction.com or search Pulpit Fiction wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Chris Abel. He's the young adult pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection, whose main campus is located in Leawood, Kansas. Chris joins us today to talk about where the church has succeeded and where it struggles in reaching emerging generations. Well, my guest today is Reverend Chris Abel. He's the young adult pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. It's a multi-campus church whose main campus is found in Leewood, Kansas. You may have heard of Church of the Resurrection because their senior pastor is Adam Hamilton, who will actually be our guest on the very next episode. So uh, hit subscribe on your podcast app as you're listening to this, and you'll be sure to get that new episode in a couple weeks. But Chris, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. It's really cool to be on Art of the Sermon. I've recognized some friends and other people I really admire, and it's a huge privilege to be helping out today. Well, thank you so much for your time. And we like to begin by having our guests share a little bit about themselves as well as their ministry and its context. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about before coming on the podcast was that you're United Methodist. I'm United Methodist. Um, I wasn't born and raised United Methodist, so I grew up Pentecostal and, uh, you know, spent some Baptist years out there. And, uh, at some point in my life, I just had too many questions and wrestled with atheism for a while and trying to figure out just life and truth and ended up coming back to faith, but couldn't really find the spot where I felt like I belonged. And so it took me until my mid-20s till I find, found the United Methodist Church. And now I love it. And we're in a kind of a you know a tense period in mm-hmm. the history of the United Methodist Church. But for me, as somebody who comes from a place where I wasn't allowed to ask questions, even though we're in a kind of a troubled spot, I also you know, I'm really grateful for this denomination. So that's just kind of my take. And I know not all your listeners are United Methodists, but it's kind of cool for me, former evangelical. I still love some of my evangelical roots and things that I've learned from that, 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 you know, particular brand of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also, I love being United Methodist. And so I'm at the church of the resurrection, which I never thought in my life that I would be here. <laughs> um, and, and part of that is, uh, you know, the funny story I applied for the current position I have in 2009. And I didn't know what Church of the Resurrection was. And they, <laughs> they, they were really kind to me on the, uh, in the interview process. And, uh, you know, we hit it off. Sometimes you have to hire a person you have, you know, chemistry with, not just a resume. Right. And well, I didn't get the job, but they stayed in touch over the years. And so we kind of built a relationship, which is, um, and then, and then the job came up and, and, uh, you know, the timing was right and I'm, and I'm here now. But part of that is a personal relationship, which, you know, is a theme I find in reaching young adults and in ministry in general. But, uh, you know, that's probably too much information. What I do now is I work with our young adult ministry, people in their 20s and 30s. And, uh, and it's been an interesting journey because uh, uh, Resurrection, uh, you know, has had a lot of turnover, actually, with people in this role. And so I knew it would be a challenge. It was kind of a reboot. And so I've come on board to help basically relaunch their young adult ministry. And so it's been unique and fun, and I've been doing it a little less than a year now. And so that's what I do at the church. And and share with our listeners what you did right before you came to Resurrection, because it was that experience that sort of set you up as a candidate for this reboot. 
Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, out of seminary, I got appointed to the Gathering United Methodist in St. Louis with Pastor Matt Miofsky, who is genius and doing some really cool stuff over there. And I helped them launch their fourth campus. And so in a school, it was one of the portable church things. So I just, you know, trial by fire, figured out how to start a church. And so I uh, did that for two years, and it's thriving and healthy. And, you know, it's cool because a, a third of the Sunday morning attendance is under 18. Wow. So, uh, yeah, like it's just it's just a really cool environment. And it went really – it was really fun and really difficult in a lot of ways. And so it was that kind of – I like starting things. Uh, that seems to be I'm – not, I'm not good once it needs like <laughs> consistent – you know, administration, but yeah. you know, if you need some enthusiasm and excitement, I can get something off the ground, you know? So, so that's what I've come here to do with this program too. That's really cool. And can you tell us a little bit about the context of Church of the Resurrection or more the demographics? What is, um, like you said, this is a, a young adult program that's been rebooted a couple times over. What is the demographics of the church like? And so, uh, and really the demographics of the surrounding area. So I guess how how well was Church of the Resurrection reaching this generation um, before the, the reboot that you've started? Right. I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of contextual stuff going on here because Church of the Resurrection as a whole has 20,000 members, which is, you know, hard to even fathom. And Pastor Adam is just extremely gifted with what he does. And, um, and we have four campuses. I work primarily with the Leewood campus. Now Leewood is a suburb of Kansas city. And so it's about half an hour drive out from downtown. And so this area is known primarily for kind of, um, you know, professionals and families. And so, uh, what I have discovered is that working with young adults or having a young adult program uh, is more appealing specifically to people who consider themselves young adults. Mm. And what ends up happening is that once people reach a certain life stage, I think they self-select out of quote-unquote young adult ministry. So sure. somebody who's 27 and has a house and a career and a kid and a family – you know, is not necessarily looking for hangout time with other 27-year-olds, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's where, you know, that's where I, I think naming something, you know, ministry to young adults begins to not be, I, I don't know if the word is true to the the kind of the, the nuances of it all. So what I find myself doing is reaching mostly singles or people without kids who are still interested in kind of f- connecting with friends outside of, um, outside of school or they've graduated, that kind of thing. And so that's, that's kind of the context of the ministry that I primarily do. And it's, you know, we have ambitions to grow beyond that. And I have some small groups that I've put together for couples um, who aren't looking for the same kind of ministry. So that's where it gets kind of tricky. So I'm, I kind of I do a lot of different things. Yeah. We oftentimes think of, you know, the millennial generation and everyone thinks of sort of the hipster guy or gal, um, you know, in their flannel shirt, drinking craft beer and whittling something out of a block of wood. Um, that guy sounds like someone I want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, my wife and I are both uh, on the uh, upper end. Well, I'm on certainly on the upper end of the millennial uh, generation. I'm also 33. And um, we lived in a college town for about 11 years. And then we moved to another college town. And just being you know, moved to a new city as an older person and having to start over making friends, it feels totally different than living in in the city where you went to college and where all your friends are people that you met 
while you were in college. And, and so I, I think it's totally, it's not something that I've ever like explicitly thought to myself, but yeah, like the type of young adult ministry that I would want to be involved with now that I have moved to a new community is totally different than the type of young adult ministry that I personally led when I was in the previous one. And so I totally get that there's a challenge there. Yeah. And let me speak to the, you know, the stereotype there. Mm-hmm. It, it really is funny that they're, they're the millennial stereotypes, because when you actually look at the data, you know, I was looking at an article from the Atlantic um, called the average 29 year old. And uh, the data that they pulled says the average 29 year old didn't graduate from a four year university, but did start college. Mm. Um, they have held several jobs, including more than two and three, more than two in the last three years is less likely to be married than parents uh, than our parents that who are at this age, but still likely to be living with someone and uh, less likely to be owning a home than the last generation at this age. So you see someone who's, you know, worked a few jobs. Uh, the average millennial doesn't even live in cities. It's more suburban or, or, or uh, you know, outside of cities. And so that's fascinating to me too, is when you actually look at the data that we have a stereotype of millennials, that's not actually accurate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that also plays into things too. And so, you know, Churches, though, you know, unfortunately, don't really address the nuances of this. And so a lot of them are aimed towards young families. And that that kind of is where it stops. Yeah. And so I'm trying to augment the people outside of that. What I'm encountering is a lot of people who are desperate for friends. Mm. And that's one of my biggest tools of evangelism is there's a lot of lonely people out there. And so church is, you know, obviously about Christ and following Christ, but it's also a place where you can meet some good people and form some friendships. And so I'm trying to create an opportunity for that to happen. And so that's a message of hope for lonely millennials. I was looking at data yesterday from uh, either Barna or Pew, and it said that millennials are more likely to be lonely than any other generation. Which is strange because we consider ourselves the most connected generation. Right. Uh, something like 87% of millennials have at some point fallen asleep with a phone on their bed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, this blows my mind. Uh, well, well, to jump uh, specifically towards one of our, our questions, this is a, a podcast about preaching and sermons and right. communication, um, which you do get to, to preach occasionally at Resurrection. I assume you also get to preach uh, in gatherings for your young adults, but I know you also communicate on a one-on-one level. What are your philosophies or approaches to preaching and communication uh, in general, and, and specifically, how do you contextualize it toward young adults? Yeah, so I love preaching. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I do almost none of it. Uh, (laughs) And part of that is if I, part of that is that resurrection has a, has specifically um, a focus on not wanting to do a young adult service that's Mm. different from worship. So we want worship to be, be a place that feels welcoming to millennials and to younger generations. And sometimes we do that better than other times. And some services are obviously more friendly towards different generations. Um, so then my job is to create something outside of that. And so, you know, while I love preaching, what I realize is that I don't want to recreate the wheel here. I don't want to mimic or duplicate. Um, you know, when I talk to other churches that do young adult services, a lot of the people that come to the young adult services don't go to other worship services. Yeah. And yeah. so you get this kind of, you're creating almost a different church. And that might be a priority for, you know, that if you're listening right now and you're a church, you know, a bigger church looking to, to reach young adults, that actually is a great way to, to do things. But it, it, it has to go with the strategy you're trying to do. If you're trying to help your whole church become younger, having a young adult service is going to segregate people. So we're trying to do something outside of that. And so I do something on Tuesday nights, we call it Roundtable. And this is... Uh, 
It's a basically a guided discussion slash podcast. Uh, we don't actually put it up, but it has the feel of a podcast. And so it's about an hour and a half long. Uh, I've uh, stolen some of the concepts from the Alpha curriculum or the Alpha class, if yeah. you're familiar with that or any of your listeners are. Love Alpha. Um, and so we start with 15 minutes that we have dinner. So we provide meals every week and people sit around round tables in a big classroom. And uh, I have table leaders who guide kind of chit chat. And then we start an interview. And so every week, instead of doing a class or instead of doing a teaching or a sermon, I do an interview. And so I bring in different people from the community, different people who are young adults in our group, different pastors on staff, just whoever. If somebody has an interesting story, they can easily be on, um, be a host or a guest for our, our roundtable group. And so what I do is I have a sand timer. And so I, it's a combination of structure um, plus kind of you know, laid back kind of fun conversations. So I have a sand timer. It starts, it's 15 minutes to keep us from talking too much <laughs> and we'll, we'll have a conversation. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I brought in, um, a, somebody who graduated with a geneticist, uh, who's 31, you know, he puts me to shame and he uh, studies aging in, uh, these little, uh, creatures and is, see, I don't even, this is how far outside of my you know, <laughs> comfort zone. And we brought him in cause he's a Christian and a scientist. And we talked about, you know, can you, is there actually a divide between religion and science? And can you, you know, can you be science minded and be a Christian? And we interviewed him for 15 minutes. And then I have discussion questions for tables, uh, table leaders. And so they guide their, their tables and conversation based off of the interview. And so then we flip the timer again and we continue the interview. And so what, what, what I've done as an alternative to preaching or teaching is created an opportunity for people to encounter Christians, um, and how they process their faith in their own personal way. And so what I found is it taps into this kind of millennial, desire for personalization and individualization. Like we live in a world where people are so individual now and we support individualism. And so where I help make faith accessible to people by showing how other people incorporate faith into their life. Mm. How does a scientist do it? How does a psychologist do it? How does somebody who, you know, comes from, I, we had someone who grew up Mormon and she left the faith and had the courage that it took to leave behind her family and everything to explore the unknown and what caused her to do that and why she's still Christian. You know, we're just talking about r with real life stories. And what I found is that the narratives, even if people don't agree, are so powerful and so interesting and so while it's not a sermon, I'm, I'm falling in love with this form of interview because it's, it's testimony. It's like renewing and guiding testimony and, uh, and people love it. And so our group has grown from, uh, you know, from 10 people when I first got here and, you know, we had 70, uh, last Tuesday. And so it's, it's ticking up and it's, I mean, it's been nine months we've been doing this. So it's, you know, it's gaining momentum and people are inviting people and the energy in the room is changing. And, you know, I'm just really excited for where this is going now for a church this size. I also have, you know, a huge amount of, um, you know, reputation and people are, when they, when people are moving into Kansas city and are looking for a place to meet young adults, they'll Google our name. So I have that advantage. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really having fun with this and I'm really excited for the direction it's going. And you know what? It's the great thing about interviewing is you don't have to spend 20 hours preparing a sermon. <laughs> exactly. And you know, it's true. Like Church of the Resurrection certainly is a draw and folks that move to Kansas City uh, or the area are going to know about the church and look for it. 
Um, but I would imagine that the folks that have probably been your most faithful attenders are folks that were either already connected to the church or or came due to a personal invitation. Um, I would imagine that the that the random Google searchers probably aren't your most faithful attenders. Absolutely. So what I've what I've found is, and I made this assumption too when I was applying for this for this position. I I really thought that this would be a lot more of like a programmatic, you know person who's really good with managing details. And what I found is even at Church of the Resurrection, which has a reputation for being huge, nothing beats personal um, relationship and invitation. I invite people over every week. I have dinner nights, board game nights. I get young adults to meet each other. Like everything I, so much of my ministry goes into the personal, developing those personal relationships. And, you know, that, that, that'll, that'll work for a, a group that'll grow to hundreds. Um, you don't have the, you know, you don't have the bandwidth. Sometimes I think we approach ministry as if we're expecting thousands. Right. And, and the truth is you, you can handle getting to know, you know, a hundred people really well. Yeah. And so that's what I've found. And then what I'm finding now is I've got to know enough young adults that they're bringing friends and they're coming and I don't even know who these people are that are showing up and it's awesome. Um, but it started with nothing more than investing in uh, in some young adults. And there's some that I spend more time with others, but I get coffee with people all the time. And uh, and that's it, it doesn't matter how big your church is. Uh, it doesn't matter how great of a preacher you are. You like you need to be getting to know people personally. And so that's my that's my big big thing. And I think sometimes people come to resurrection and they think because it's big that they just have to create a good system. And I think that's a lie, and I think it's dangerous to ministry. Systems are helpful, but they only serve personal relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as, as we move towards talking about the relationship between uh, these generations in the church, let's start on the not-so-good side. So what are some specific ways you feel the church uh, has been ineffective or just flat-out failed uh, these emerging generations? Or even feel free to share from your own experience if you've had some bumps in the road. Yeah, so you know, my my perspective is one that's seen a difference because I think the evangelical church has done different things than the Methodist church. So my experience of the Methodist church is that the biggest thing it's done wrong is nothing. It's just not done anything. Mm-hmm. It's just not changed. And so that is where I think um we've 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 really hit some road bumps. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I've heard statistics of, you know, Methodists, once they become Methodists, they tend not to leave, you know, that our decline in attendance is really from really faithful, loyal, elderly Methodists who are just passing away. Yeah. And so that to me is beautiful that you have this lifelong commitment. And that's a pretty good reason for people to be leaving the church is they're literally dying. <laughs> right, right. Right. It could be that they're just angry or leaving or whatever and giving up on faith, but that doesn't seem to be what, what was hap- what's happening. What I have found is as millennials, we really, you know, this is, this is the, you know, when I go into a, I don't know if this is appropriate, but when I go into the wine store, right. And and I'm looking for a bottle of wine, I'm, I'm looking at ratings. I'm looking at the labels. And usually I pick a label that looks pretty fancy and it might be a really terrible <laughs> batch of wine, yeah. but they have a really fancy branding and I'm going to buy it. And I feel like the United Methodist Church has just done a bad job of communicating what it's about and who it is. And, and and changing with the times. And so it means that we have a product that's amazing. I just think that our theology is nuanced. And I know there's a lot of dispute going on with the LGBTQ um, clergy and, and, and issue in our churches. And I just 
find heartbreaking. But other than other than that particular issue that's on the forefront, the United Methodist Church is, man, just light years ahead of a lot of churches out there. I just find that if millennials knew what we're about, a lot more of them would come along. Uh, the challenge is, is just our packaging. And maybe this is oversimplistic and I'm this is just my opinion, you know. This is not. Yeah. This is not some you know professional person who's polled thousands of people. This is just my take on it. As someone who's found myself accidentally into the Methodist Church, if Methodists existed in Massachusetts, they didn't let themselves be known. You know, that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, I would have yeah. loved this church when I was a struggling 22 year old looking for answers, or even looking for a place where I could ask the questions. And they just never made themselves known. That's what I mean. Is we kind of keep to ourselves. We don't advertise. We don't put ourselves out there. We don't try new things. In the evangelical church, the challenge is going to be that they're not keeping up with the times of people who have different opinions and thoughts and feelings, and that it's a global world. And there's, you know, we have access to the internet now, which means anyone who's under 35 has had access to the internet since they were teenagers, which means any question that they had, they could get answered. They didn't have to just take anyone's word for it. They're exposed to more ideas. They're exposed to other people who believe different things, who come from different backgrounds. Uh, and so that, so the, so what happens with churches is we've kind of delivered a lot of the times the trite answers because they didn't have any other way to get the answers. And now we say in a sermon, you know, Jesus is X, Y, and Z. And we go on Wikipedia and we're like, actually the nuances here. And we see that, you know, James says this, or, you know, the gospels say this in different ways that we can find more critique and more answers in a five minute Google search than in a sermon on a Sunday morning, you yeah. know? Well, let's look on the bright side now that we're all sufficiently uh, depressed and, and fear for the future oh, of the church. Let's look on the bright side. In what ways do you think the church is succeeding or has the, the, the potential to succeed and, and really unleash a, a transformational change for the kingdom in these generations? I went to London in January, and I visited a church called Holy Trinity Brompton. They're the ones who started the Alpha Course. If you're not familiar with the Alpha Course, it's a bare-bones, what-is-Christianity course in 10 weeks, and it's had an amazing success rate in bringing people to Christ. And it started in this just little church in and and um, in the in the suburbs of London, and it's not even in the suburbs in, in London. And when I was going there, it was really fascinating because the Church of England has had an incredible decline, and the number of Christians in England is just it's just very small. Yeah. So it's it's a precursor for what Christian what the future of Christianity looks like in other places. However, in the midst of a post Christian country, you have this church of people who are authentically and earnestly and passionately tying back into their faith and trying new things. And it just it was so contagious. It impacted my faith in a beautiful way by going out there and seeing what they were doing. And it challenged me on a lot of fronts. And so it was just beautiful to see this thing just just blossoming and they've actually turned back the the tide, and so the the Christianity is actually on the rise in England, and wow. the Church of England has grown a little bit. It's actually ticked up the Church of England from its decline, and from one church that passionately embodied their faith, and now they've done all these church plants, and they're teaching all these young clergy to go all over and start these church plants in England. It's awesome. Um, and they're spirit led, uh, you know, and it's just so funny. The church of England is so traditional and they're starting these kind of contemporary creative church plants. Um, and so I think one of the exciting things is that because things aren't working, we're finally giving permission to people to try creative new things. When things are fine, people don't change. And this is in your own personal life. What I find is like, 
when, when I'm kind of ticking along and nothing's really wrong, I don't have any reason to change. But when something's messed up, you know, when something's broken, when I've been hurt, when I'm f- trying to figure something out, you, you try new things. Cause yeah. you don't yeah. like the, the trying of new things is less painful than the current reality. <laughs> That's where the church is at right now. And so the Missouri conference, which I come from is doing all sorts of church plants under the, uh, you know, uh, Bishop Bob Farr was the director of new church, uh, new church initiatives before he became Bishop. And, you know, he was my mentor when we were launching uh, the fourth site at the gathering. And it's, I'm just, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of cool things happening um, within the ways that the church is supporting new church starts. Um, That's where I think a a lot of my hope rests. And there's some churches that are more traditional that are also supporting these kinds of things too, which I love. You know, you had... um, you had Pastor Eric Huffman on uh, right. a few yeah. weeks ago, and you know he started two churches here in Kansas City, and then went down to uh, I forget was it San Antonio, Houston, Houston, yeah, and starting the story Houston, which is uh, which has been supported and launched off of another church, which is so uh, courageous of that church to yeah. not just bring in a pastor like that to like uh, rev up their own church, but to support a different kind of community, a creative community, which. Is cool. I just I I love that. And they, what what I love about that is that's a church's heart is beyond just its own survival. And that's where I think a lot of God's going to use us and use churches in the future. So that's that's just my take. I'm from the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, a conference that uh, still has solid attendance, solid finances, because we have so many older faithful members. People retire to Florida. We have a lot of amazing Methodists from New York and Indiana and, you know, all these places up north that retire to Florida and invest in the Methodist Church. Um, You're like in the sweet spot. All these retired Methodists (laughs) come to you. Yeah. Uh, And then I've got some friends out on the West Coast in California, and they're like, we can pretty much do whatever we want because there's nothing to lose. You know, we're out of people— we're out of money and so they just tell us to try. And and, yeah. and so the great thing for us in Florida, we have a bishop who recognizes that we can't just wait until the money runs out. And so they're starting to try new things. They're working with the Fresh Expressions Movement, which I believe yep. began in England. Um, so we really have this opportunity to, like you said, either, either stay in our comfort zone or to recognize that the comfort zone is either a plateau and or, or a slow decline. So we have a chance now to really try and innovate while we have this cushion uh, uh, here and things the floor hasn't completely dropped out from under us. Yeah. An easy scapegoat for tensions between generations in the church uh, is worship style and particularly music. Um, what do you think has or, or why do you think music has been such a flashpoint? Why do you think it's something that people so easily point to? And do you think it's possibly either sort of not the true thing? Do you think it's like a symptom of a deeper issue? Why, why do you think music has be, been such a battleground? Oh man, that's a that's a great question. So at Resurrection, what we find is I probably have about fifteen percent of our young adults love traditional worship, and even among those 15%, a lot of them are considering leaving a traditional service to go to a more contemporary service because their friends go to that service. Mm. When I had this conversation with a mom uh, a couple months ago, and she came up to me after I did a presentation to this group of moms of college-age students, and she said, uh, you know, my daughter, she's 23, and she's not going to church, and I don't know what to do. How can I help my daughter come to church? And I said, uh, my response to her was, you know, when your daughter comes to church, you know, she sees an environment that's not designed for her, that 
it's designed for an older generation. And if you want your daughter to come to church, you need to be the, you know, the, the, the loudest drum beater of change so that this church begins to focus and listen to a bunch of boomers who want their kids to come to this worship service or want kids to come to this church. And so, or their 20 somethings to come to this church. And, and I said, like, you can help make that change. And you just need to, like, you need to be an advocate for your daughter and girls and men and women her, her age. And, and she looked at me for a second and she said, I just don't know why she can't just appreciate my music. Oh uh, yeah. And I thought, what? You just asked me how to get your daughter to church, not how to get her to like your music. Yeah. And what I found is, or she, that wasn't even it. She said, I'm sorry. I, she said, I learned to like this music. That was her response. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And you, what I think it is, I think there's a little bit of I think change is speeding up in this mm, generation. Yeah, yeah. And so there, you know, when, when this mom, you know, she kind of admitted like that wasn't her first choice of music when she was that age, but she learned to love it. And so it's become, she'd been bought into it. And so when, when somebody um, who really is into traditional worship hears that it's not really, you know, doing it for the next generation, well, they feel like, well, I, you know, learned to love this or it's meaningful to me. And so it's a rejection personally. And so instead of it being, well, you know, what's, what's resonating with other people. It's, they don't like my style. Something about what I like isn't attractive. And so it really is, it feels like an attack sometimes. And so the more boomers and the more people from the silent generation, boomers are actually more resistant than older generations. And the more I talk to them, the more it feels like a judgment from the younger generation against their generation. Mm. And that's not it at all. I don't talk to millennials who are making fun of traditional music. They just, they don't, they don't care enough to actually make fun of it. You yeah. know, they just kind of move on and find something else. But what I think is we're in a multi, more of a, a multimedia generation now or, or culture. And so what I'm finding is a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, and this, this actually goes on back on topic to the art of the sermon, right? They're not coming to church for the sermon anymore, that they're coming for an experience. And so, uh, you, you know, you, the, the churches, I'm, I'm thinking of a Hillsong in New York and there's a Hillsong family church here in Kansas city. That's just the church for young adults. And what I hear from my friends is, you know, the sermons are fine, but man, the worship just makes me feel something. And so I, I think that the, the priorities of what we take away from the worship experience are different between generations. And again, mm. there's certain that you can't, you can't just paint with a wide brush. And right. so not all millennials are going to be into that, right? We have all sorts of different unique individuals within the millennial generation. Well, I wanted to ask you about an experience I had recently. Um, I was at the dinner with a group of pastors and we were sharing about the ways that we were trying to reach younger generations. And and I was, um, if not the youngest pastor, I was certainly the second or third youngest pastor. It was mostly older pastors. And they were sharing about how their churches were trying things like theology on tap or beer and hymns uh, and, uh, you know, things where the, the church goes out to a local establishment, whether it's a bar or a sports bar or whatever, uh, and and holds these church events in these alternative locations and, and tries to put this kind of hip spin on on church stuff. Well, one of the pastors had her college-age daughter there, and again, this uh, this girl's a PK, and so, she, you know, 
she has a unique experience with it. Uh, but she had grown up in the church, does not currently choose to attend church uh, while she's at college. And uh, and one of the people, you know, saw a look on her face and asked her, well, what do you what do you think about all this? It looks like you have something to say. And she said, honestly, it's kind of annoying. I'm, I'm at the bar to have a good time with my friends and it can be really intrusive. Um, and again, recognizing that this is sort of an anecdote, a one-off, uh, but, you know, we had all these pastors really um, excited about theology on tap, beer and hymns, stuff like that. And then kind of their, you know, target market looks at them and says, I actually really don't like this idea. I was, I was wondering if you had any reactions to something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I get her critique and I think part of that might be as a, you know, as a pastor's kid, there's, there's a little hyper, you know, hypersensitivity sure. to churches, you know, desperately trying new kind of creative things outside the box. It's the reason I say that is because, um, you know, I have a friend who runs, um, one of the locations at the gathering, and I'm just mentioning the gathering, you know, I love resurrection, but both churches are trying new things. The gathering has something called bar church. It's one of their sites. And they literally set up every week in a bar. And I think they've moved to a Mexican restaurant or some, there is some bar right now or some bar like place. And, uh, there's some, there's a certain amount of novelty when a friend is inviting someone, they're not just inviting someone to church. They're like, wait, church in a bar. And so there's, so it works. It actually works in some ways, but I definitely can see how it can become rote, especially for someone who's already immersed in church culture of being like, oh my gosh, they're just trying something cool, you know? So I, I get it. But what I find is that this, our generation and younger is has been sold so many things. Yeah. We're just, we've been just completely just inundated with marketing. So we smell a pitch a million miles away. Yeah. So you can't just do something like a pub theology and not bring something real and authentic and with the willingness to add value to people's lives. If you do it just to be cool and it's the same old thing or it's boring or, you know, you haven't really put the thought into it or reflection into it, then it's, then it's not going to work and it's going to, you know, reduce the chances of it working for other people. And I think that's the key there is it that this these kind of creative ministries need to be tied with with some legitimacy and with some meaningful um authentic uh you know approaches and I know those are buzzwords uh but they're true buzzwords yeah yeah and that's just that's that's been my approach and it was really cool to see you know tons of college students hanging out in a bar worshiping god you know and I, and at the last, you know, at the gathering, what we found is that the whole church was so proud of that ministry. That they were, it wasn't a taboo thing. It was, they were so proud that they were offering that and that that existed as an extension of their church. And, and I think that's beautiful too, is that the older generations were willing to adjust and willing to, you know, try new things. And I think that's beautiful. Now, at the end of the day, it can still be terrible. Yeah, And what I've found is that whenever you're trying something new, it still comes down to personal relationships. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know your, your friend's daughter and, uh, but I imagine that if she met some really great people and formed some friendships and, uh, you know, a campus minister or a young adult pastor got to know her and then invited her to the pub and she knew some people and it wasn't intrusive to her and her friends hanging out. Like then she, then it might be that she was bought in and I don't want to speak on behalf of her and her, sure. you know, it might not. It might not be that she changes her mind, but I suspect that people's judgments of things might be true. But if they are on the inside, or they know some people, or they've been invited along, it might be a different thing. And I've just found, like, as a, you know, someone in their in their thirties, I've spent a lot of years being really critical of things, 
um, that were run by really good people and that I ended up really enjoying once I got to know people or got invited yeah. or formed some relationships. And so uh, that, I don't know, that's just kind of my take on it. I will say though, that sometimes I think churches, we, we, um, we idolize creative ministries mm-hmm. that think outside the box, but sometimes that's also not the most effective. I've been surprised by how much people are still willing to try church. I, I think it still comes down to, you know, if you're offering something compelling, people don't mind coming in the doors of a church. You know, the biggest thing about resurrection is we have this new huge building and while people know it's there, people won't come until they have a personal invitation. <laughs> And so it works both ways, a personal invitation in the bar, a personal invitation to the church. You know, the hurdles might be different for different people. I found that even having church in a school was a hurdle some people couldn't get over. But for some people, they wouldn't want to step in a church, yeah. and they wanted to come to us. They loved being in a, in a non-church setting. And so that's, that's my experience with it, is it's, it's just, it's almost too nuanced to even speak to. But I tried speaking to it anyways. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're, you're exactly added. I, I think if a church is doing it because it's what they were told to do to be relevant to young people, we can sniff that out from, you know, a mile away. You know, it's, it's yeah. like the pastor that squeezes himself in the skinny jeans and you're like, you like, you don't want to be in those jeans any more than I want to see you in those jeans. And you're that's like, what pastor are <laughs> muffin tops in. Is that what <laughs> yeah. Well, before we close the main portion of the interview, we mentioned before a ministry called Burlap that you uh, help out with. You are a co-host of the Burlap podcast and uh, the, the primary host, your co-host is Chris Folmsby, your colleague there at Church of the Resurrection, also the founder of Burlap. And, and uh, Chris, was going to be with us for this recording. Uh, things got shuffled around on the schedule. That just means that he'll have an episode to himself a little bit later, and he can tell us all the inside dirt about uh, you and your contributions. But uh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what Burlap is, and uh, if folks want to find out more, what's the best place to go for that? Yeah, so our uh, Burlap, I think Burlap.com, we're uh, an organization that's trying to help uh, churches reach uh, millennials and Gen Z. And so we have blogs that get posted. We have a podcast together and, uh, we, we just talk about real life things that are impacting the church and how we can make steps towards, uh, helping everyday churches reach millennials. And I you know it can be, it can be discouraging. It can be hard. And so we're just trying to help equip people. And so I think we do some consulting on the side and, um, overall, it's just kind of a, a side project for us to give back in a lot of ways. That's really cool. All right. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And so our first one is, what is one of your most favorite and or most challenging preaching experiences? Okay. So when I was a site pastor, uh, we did video sermons about a third of the time. And I almost every every single week, I would wait just to make sure it was all right. I would sit there and just in case something went wrong. And one week, I decided to leave the auditorium and go say hi to some of our teenagers who were meeting. And and someone comes running into the this room with the youth <laughs> and says, Chris, the video froze. I'm thinking, the one time I leave the yeah. room, the video freezes. So we run back in. The video guy, you know, there's a video volunteer in the back freaking out, you know, and he, I'm like, restart it. And so they restarted it. And then we wait three minutes in and it freezes again. So I grab my Bible and I have no script, nothing. And I get up there and I wing a sermon. And I felt like I was sweating through every layer <laughs> of my clothes. And it ended up being really great. And for whatever reason, you know what it was? It was a, an old youth ministry sermon that I had in my back pocket. 
and uh, and I just I just I just preached and did it like a 15 minute sermon and and it ended and it was so cool to see that moment like people loved it they thought it was hilarious it didn't become a moment of like oh this is so unprofessional it became a moment of like oh glitches happen and Chris just got up there and our, you know our site pastor he just you know he, he just he just brought it and it it just built so much um, trust between me and the congregation. So that's definitely one of the most challenging. I never want to do that again in my life. Yeah, I hear you. Well, who have been some of the most impactful preachers uh, and or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? Okay, so this one's, you know, this one's a little trite, but Rob Bell, man, he's probably the reason I'm a pastor is, you know, I'd come back to the faith in my early 20s and, you know, I liked being a Christian, but I definitely wasn't thinking about ministry. And I used to watch these videos called Numa, and it just made Christianity so approachable, and it made Jesus so real to me. And I remember um, kind of just embodying those um, those videos and that aspect of faith, and I just thought, how has it taken me this long to encounter somebody who's teaching about Jesus in this way? And so that's definitely one way that's influenced my uh, my ministry. You know, and, and, and unfortunately, it's gotten to the point where, like, you know, I, I like Rob so much that I can't listen to him anymore because <laughs> yeah. I'll mimic him too much. Right. And so yeah. for my own sanity and my own, you know, growth, I have to kind of stay away at this point. But I, I, you know, I have tons of respect. I'm so grateful for what he does. The other person, and this one's probably not church appropriate, but uh, there's a speaker out there and he used to be part of Black Flag, Henry Rollins. Are you familiar with Henry Rollins I at am, all? I am, yeah. Oh my gosh. He just, I went on a tour and he just goes for three hours, just talked for three hours and kept my attention the entire time. Um, you know, he's extremely opinionated, but he has such unique insights and his way of holding an audience and talking about real things and being so vulnerable and just cracking his heart open for all of us to see. Like, I just absolutely admire him so much and uh, have for a long time. Are there any books or other resources out there that you might recommend our audience check out? Uh, you know what really got me starting to nerd out on on biblical stuff was some N.T. Wright. I took I mm. read his book Paul when I was in undergrad, and it was it totally changed my way of viewing the Apostle Paul in the Book of Romans. It's so good. I've also been reading Elizabeth Gilbert's book Big Magic: Creative Living Beyond Fear, and I feel like uh, you know what she talks about for creatives is true of any religious professionals of people who have to get creative in some yeah. form or fashion. It's been really encouraging. It's great stuff. And then lastly, if folks want to get in touch and say hi or follow uh, you and, and your ministry, what's the best way to do that? Sure. So uh, I have a website, you know, it's just, it's uh, just some of my random thoughts. It's nothing professional. It's Christopher Abel, A-B-E-L.com. And, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter, which I rarely use and Facebook and Instagram. It's just Christopher Abel. Uh, yeah, I'd love to connect and partner with some people and just talk or make new friends. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Dan, it's been fun talking with you. Thanks so much for the invitation and uh, good luck to all of you listeners out there with whatever you're up to. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. 
If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.